Welcome back to the Lehigh Valley Arts Podcast, where we will explore the local arts culture and community in the Lehigh Valley. We'll be doing this through conversations with individual artists, administrators, and organizations. We'll discuss all types of mediums with the goal of enriching local arts culture. Hello, and welcome back for season two of Lehigh Valley Arts Podcast. I'm Elise. Elizabeth. And Ben. And thanks for tuning in. We are so excited to share an all-new season with an amazing lineup of artists and creatives, as well as new projects, fun behind-the-scenes content, and so much more. Welcome back, you guys. Yeah. Hi. This summer was a great break, but we are very excited to be back in the studio for season two. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. We took a break very loosely. We've been working (laughs) nonstop on the second season and what we want it to be like and have a lot of really big, fun stuff in store. We do. Yeah. This summer was great. I don't know. What did you? What were you guys up to this summer? I'm acting like I don't know, but I know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we finally went on our honeymoon. Yeah. It was a Ooh. year delayed. Year and a half. <laughs> year and a half. Yeah. Jeez. Seriously. But yeah, so for our honeymoon, we went on a tour of the New England states, stopped at a bunch of different fun places, and yeah. You guys went to the, what was it? The Isabella yes, Stewart Gardner the Museum? Stewart Gardner the one that Museum? documentary with the stolen art is on yes. Yes. Netflix. That was my I'm favorite. I'm so jealous. By far. It was so good. Very it was cool. really unique setup, the way that it had everything. That walking in, it felt like you were in a different location around the world. And like different uh, rooms. Wow, that's very cool. So cool. And there was like a courtyard in the middle of it, and it made it, but it made you feel like you were in a building, like the outside of a building, inside a building, hmm. where the courtyard was in the middle was really cool. Yeah. Very and nice. We went to a Basquiat exhibit at the oh, Mass Mocha. Wow. Oh my gosh. That was amazing. Very, very cool. They had so some black good. light stuff there too. They did. And nice. a fridge that was like graffiti. That one was really cool. The whole yeah. fridge was graffiti on the outside. Huh. Yeah. And they had quite a few of Keith Haring's pieces in there too. No way. Yeah. Some he was local back home. Yeah. yeah seriously. <laughs> very All cool. It was super cool. What about you? I got to go visit my family in Alaska during our break, which Ooh. was awesome. Um, lots and lots and lots of art stops, lots of indigenous Alaskan art, lots of locally made Alaskan art. Um, there is a super cool art scene and a very cool town uh, that I enjoy a lot there called Talkeetna, Alaska, Ooh. which uh, yeah. basically is an old mining town right on the railroad, but mm. it's full of little artisan shops, galleries, locally made stuff. Yeah. I spent a lot of money, but <laughs> that's awesome. It was uh, a great trip and yeah. I had a lot of fun. Well, as your mom disclosed in our bonus episode <laughs> at the beginning of this season, your family has some ties to Alaska, right? Yes, yeah. yeah. My mom um went to high school there, grew up for a good portion of her young adult life there. Um so, yes. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and most of my family still lives there, so yeah. It was a great trip. Nice Very to cool. see everybody. Yeah. But here we are talking about all of this outside the Lehigh Valley stuff when we have some great Lehigh Valley content coming to yes, you this season. Um, it will have already been released by the time you hear this, but we have Lehigh Valley Arts Podcast backstage coming yes. to you, which is Woo. some super awesome exclusive behind the scenes content that will be ever changing, never in the same spot. <laughs> so we hope you will watch out for that on all of our streaming platforms. Yes. And don't expect Perfect. a certain length with those. They could range anywhere from five minutes to who knows, like three hours. As long as you want it to be. <laughs> as long as you'll listen, we'll make it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we are excited to be back in the studio, and today we are sharing an amazing interview with local artist Anthony Smith. Elizabeth, would you like to read his bio for us? Sure. Anthony Smith received a BA in the Fine Arts from Amherst College and an MFA in Painting from the University of Michigan. He's been reviewed in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Boston Globe, 
the Detroit Free Press, the Ann Arbor News, and the Artist Magazine. Smith has taught at such institutions as the University of Michigan, Parsons, Princeton, and Maryland Institute College of Art. Additionally, he served as artist-in-residence at the National Academy of Design and at the Vermont Studio Center in Johnson, Vermont in 2016 and will again in 2022. Most recently, he's taught at Muhlenberg College in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and currently teaches drawing at Northampton Community College in Bethlehem, PA. In 2022, he will exhibit in a solo show, Secret Worlds, at the Blair Academy in Blairstown, New Jersey. He lives in Allentown, PA, with a studio at the Banana Factory Art Center in Bethlehem, PA. Thank you for coming in. <laughs> How did we meet, Anthony? I can't even remember. Um, maybe six or eight months ago, I think that you came to. Actually, uh, we met at JuxtaHub. That's right, we did. Yes, I was going. I was thinking it was maybe at your studio, but you're right, it was at JuxtaHub. No, it was at JuxtaHub, uh, mm-hmm. and it was with. Um, uh, it was with uh, Michael Baker and Tyrone Webb. Mm-hmm. And uh, Michael was giving us a tour of um, of Juxtap. And, you know, Michael is this eccentric, you know, um, very, very interesting guy. Um, and he just, he he, he um, was sending me all these messages um, that I was like half paying attention to. <laughs> and uh, and I couldn't um, figure out whether or not to um, just sort of engage with him because I was just like, what's going on? I mean, I have a million things to do. But like you know, he's a he's a long time friend, so let me like pay attention. And he's like, <laughs> tell me about this place, Juxtap. You have to come to it. It's kind of like revolutionized the art scene in the Lehigh Valley, and you know I've been involved with it through my brother, and he used to come out and take a look at it. And I was like, okay, fine, I'll go out and look at it. You know, I have some time this afternoon. And like you know, he was talking so much about it, and he uh, kept talking about this um, this uh, AV um, uh, component or a uh, VR component rather. And I was like, okay, well, I mean, the only person I know that's really into that is Al Johnson and Tyrone Webb. Al couldn't make it for whatever reason. So I was like, Tyrone, you got to go to this. My buddy is like, you know, totally like, you know, involved with all this stuff that just right up your alley. And then we brought Tyrone and he basically, you know, fell in love with the place. And like, you know, I guess they, they fell in love with him. And so they're, they're having a mutual love affair with each other. <laughs> 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 and, um, and that's where we met. That's right. Mm-hmm. I was thinking it was at your studio because the phrase that sticks in my mind now when I think of you, um, I think actually Tyrone mentioned it was ruthlessly hospitable, oh. which is <laughs> the best description I've ever heard. Um, so I hope we've been ruthlessly hospitable yes, at yes, the studio have. here have, today. Yeah. yeah, so welcome. Uh, you know, I particularly love the tea. I mean, this I am gonna have to like. I'm not a tea drinker. I'm I'm basically <laughs> a coffee drinker i mean i drink probably like 10 cups a day at least at least and it does nothing i mean i can sleep uh, fine on it but i just love my cafe bustello coffee but like i'm like really digging this tea and i'm i mean i'm all about that, that tea. okay i'm nice. glad to hear it yeah. i think you and i met at first friday mm-hmm. and then you came to our open house here at steel pixel yes uh, that was at um yeah the during the same day as uh house galleries yeah thing and again tyrone was there and we he uh, drove drug me over here and we were walking over here and he was like oh it's right around the corner it's right around the corner and i'm like this is not fucking right around the corner i mean like i have to <laughs> you know i'm i'm having to schlep here i mean i'm like i'm not like you know light on my feet as i was like you know 15 years ago and so uh, and he wanted us to get there at a particular time, so I was like, you know, huffing and huffing, and then we found we actually went a block or two down, almost got to like uh, Moravian, uh, and then we realized we went the wrong way and came back. So <laughs> I'm glad that like you know, you guys were yeah. able to host us. Yeah, <laughs> that, day. Oh, that was goodness. nice. Yeah, that was a fun night. We took some 
hilarious pictures with yes oh uh, Kate took the, some funny pictures the, the four of us together we look like you know oh yeah with mike the pirate there i mean I oh yeah know. what was oh the calendar boys yeah, the um, calendar boys i love that <laughs> i love that shot uh, i always terrible. i always feel like i have to like one up mike because i mean he's like such i mean he is such a character in his own in of, of himself mike lepson and uh you know, with the like the the the, the shirt uh, like unbuttoned down to his like you know crotch practically. You know what I mean, <laughs> it's so, it's just why so, wear it at that point? It's like well, I know I love it though. <laughs> I love it. I love it that it's like such a look. I mean, and it's like so oh, unique. Totally. And then, you know, you, you you'll never not know that he's around. Um, and so I I felt like I had to like do the same thing. So I I, I unbuttoned my shirt. <laughs> not that anyone wants to see my gesture. I mean, he's like oh. <laughs> He's all fit and perfect and like, you know, but. Oh, God. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, your connection to all of these artists and all mm -hmm. of these people is because you are currently a resident artist at yeah. the Banana Factory. Correct? Yes, for like a million years. You know? A million years. Yes. I've been there eight years, if you can believe it. I, I, I can barely believe it. Uh, I was brought there by my housemate now, um, Michelle Neifert, who was at the Banana Factory um, up until about three or four years ago. Hmm. Um, and uh, she brought me in because um, she, um, <laughs> to, to hear her story, to hear her tell it, I was like, you know, being sort of like aloof or something like that. And she decided to like, you know, break down my barriers and get me to come um, uh, to the Banana Factory and take her seriously. Because uh, we were, uh, I had a show over at... Um, I think it was like 19th Street um, a Gallery over in Allentown. Um, I got that show through a, a mutual friend of ours, Deborah Rubinsky, uh, who's like one of the like you know four people who controlled the entire art scene in the Lehigh Valley. <laughs> uh, and she and she like you know um, um, got me into this like you know little uh, thing. And Michelle was uh, Michelle had the show either previous to it or after it but like she wanted to come to the show and um i guess i didn't like you know sort of notice her or whatever i wasn't paying attention which is oftentimes the case because i'm 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 really aloof oftentimes i mean it's not like intentional but like sometimes i just have such blinders on about like needing to get here or there that i come across as like you know uh i don't like i don't care and it's not uh, if i ever done that to anyone i apologize <laughs> <laughs> Your public on air apology. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> like apology to everyone. Um, but like she was there and um and Michelle was like, I'm gonna get that motherfucker and I'm gonna like bring him over to the banana factory. And that's what she did. And she taught me how to um basically like sort of control my uh, interview. Mm. Um there because the interview is everything getting into the banana factory. If you if you don't have a good interview, that's it. You know, you're you're, you're not gonna get in. <clears throat> And she said, like, you know, go in there like a boss, like control that shit. And I was like, okay, fine. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go in there and like, you know, I'm just going to like run my meeting. And I was just coming back from um, CAA, which uh, for those of you who are not in the academic art game, uh, that's the College Art Association, which is this like big annual conference that usually happens one year in New York and then two years or one year at another place, another, you know, provincial city in America because to artists, academic artists particularly, it's only New York that matters. <laughs> and so that it's always held every other year in New York, I think, I believe. And so it was one of those years when it was held in New York. And so um, we all um, slept there to uh, the um, um, Hyatt, me and a couple of friends, a couple of days before. And so I was coming back from trying to um, pitch myself to all these colleges, you know, as a professor. 
And um, so I was like high on that game. I know I had my like interview game down, like, you know, because the way that conference works is like you have like a pit, basically. I mean, of all these tables of like, you know, and every table has two or three like, you know, faculty members and then yourself and they are doing like interviews. And sometimes they're doing like, like two interviews at a time for the same institution. <laughs> it's, it's, it's wild. So it's really like a trial by fire. So I came really, really prepared uh, to deal with like, you know, a room full of people judging me uh, creatively um, at the, uh, for my banana factory interview. And then I got in uh, thanks to Michelle and we had studios right down the hall and we're basically like, you know, be bosom buddy uh, artists, friends there um up until she left my girlfriend left <laughs> and so um i felt like you know i've been like you know sort of uh for a while i was rudderless uh, and then i found like my my good buddy daryl george who also left soon after he left like <laughs> last year after um being there for like probably he, i think daryl was probably there for about 10 years too mm. or eight eight to ten years he's now in wisconsin but like you know, Banana Factory is my my artist's um, home. I serve on the visual arts um, board there as the artist liaison. So I try to advocate for the artists constantly and try to get the uh, board members to buy our work and to come to our shows and you know to generally care, which you know can be harder than it should be, honestly. Um, but like you know, I think that they're trying. I think it's it's tough in the valley. Um, uh, I think that like people um, don't see. The um, I think that people don't uh, see a problem spending a couple hundred dollars on dinner at a restaurant. Um, that's not not a big deal. But then if you spend a couple hundred dollars to buy a person's artwork, then it's a big deal. It's like, oh mm. my god, that's like I don't have that mm. kind of money. I don't have a kind of all the huffing. You know, um, it's 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 interesting um, being there and like you know seeing um, seeing how artists interact with each other and seeing how. Uh, other entities that uh, interface with us uh, react. It's it's a it's a kind of it's a it's an eye opening experience because I'm out from the valley, um, and uh, and so I feel like everything to me um, that I encounter here, it's, it feels like it's, it's an education mm. um, that like you know I'm so I'm I'm really kind of getting um, uh, like uh, the bird's eye view of the way things happened here that people just think it's just the way it's always been and i'm like well you know it doesn't have to be that way <laughs> you know it really is a choice you can shake it up a you little. can shake it up it doesn't have to you know it's not ossified i mean like you know things can like you know move here if you want you know if you want how how long have you lived in the lehigh valley oh uh, well that's that's a story oh my god i mean it's like um i i was coming back and forth to uh to lehigh valley subletting my apartment in new york until about 2014 when i had to give up my apartment in new york and um I moved here for, uh, permanently. So I say officially since 2014, but I really be, had been coming here since 2012. Mm. Um, so, um, you know, uh, and the way I got to the Valley is that I was like, you know, um, uh, I'll tell, uh, I'll tell the abridged version, um, but like, you know, I, um, um, uh, I had, um, difficulties with, uh, uh, with a boyfriend and, and he put me out and I was like literally homeless, not, Figuratively, not like, you know, imaginary. I was homeless in the streets of New York, 2011, uh, living in shelters. And my uh, one of my girlfriends, uh, Tanya Sanders, uh, who was a professor at Lehigh, uh, said, you know, I can get you an adjunct gig maybe. You know, I know some people over at Lehigh. And she did, 
you know, I was a sabbatical replacement for Beresford Booth, who, you know, has been my angel on many different occasions <laughs> over the last uh, decade or so. And, um, you know, I came to the Valley. Um, so um, actually, before then, I actually got off the streets of New York, you know, and got an apartment. And then from there, from that little apartment that I had in the Bronx, from there, I uh, got the job with Tanya's help because she knew uh, all the trouble I had been having in the previous year. And that's how I came to the Valley. My, my um, previous point of perspective was very much New York. You know, I, I thought that I would die there. Um, and, and so coming here and seeing another community is very, very much about the way things have always been. It's very interesting, you know, coming from mm. a place like that where everything is always moving and shaking and like, you know, changes, like, you know, changes to the tradition in New York. Everything is changing mm. all the time. Yeah, definitely. Mm. And that's, it's rare to have an artist go from New York City to a place like the Lehigh Valley here. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, rare, but I mean, actually, to go back to that point, not as rare as you think. I mean, I meet a lot of New York, ex-New Yorkers here. I feel like, you know, part of what's changing in the Valley that I'm actually kind of like pleased by is that more artists from bigger places are coming here and shaking things up and like, you know, forcing people to, um, you know, wake up to the fact that like, you know, the Lehigh Valley is not going to always change. It's going to be different. It's going to have to grow, uh, mostly just to keep up. I mean, like, you know, so... I think that like Philly and New York are kind of like seeding the Valley with like, you know, lots of great, great talent and helping the people who have been here for a long time to like, you know, maybe push their artistry uh, further um, to, uh, I don't know, uh, be part of the national conversation more, you know, and I, and I I like that. And I like that. That's kind of like what I kind of see my um, purpose here as is like, you know, helping um, my fellow artists that I meet here that I love. I mean, and so many people who are, who have been here for years, help them to, grow and have them help me grow you know i mean i think it's like a mutual thing yeah definitely yeah and here on the show we absolutely love the idea that you don't have to go to new york Mm. to be a successful artist you can do it here you can identify Mm -hmm. and live in the lehigh valley as an artist that's absolutely right i do i do think that um um i i do think that artists can do their work here I don't think that they could uh, have a career exhibiting here. Um, but I think that, like, the exhibition market is going to be blown out of the water by, like, you know, NFTs and by the uh, social media mm. revolution that's happening. So I think that galleries are going to basically go away, um, uh, 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 except for a few sort of, like, um, blue chip um, galleries or um, mm. Um, tempo uh, galleries yeah. that you have in, uh, in cities here and there. But I think that that, that whole world is, uh, is like we're on the precipice of all that being um, done away with. Like, um, But the way it is currently, I think that there's um, there's almost enough galleries that I think that like in, like in uh, um, um, just state, uh, a healthy art community, I think we need probably like two or three more. And then I think it will be really... Um, Sort of um, symbiotic and uh, and uh, and uh, sort of uh, it will create more of a virtuous circle. Do you know that concept mm. of virtuous circle? Definitely. Um, and but but right now it it feels like artists are sort of um, um, I don't I don't know limited cl- uh, limited and clutching their um, uh, yeah. uh, their connections because they they know that like you know there are few few resources around yeah. here. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, and, and you see this in many many smaller towns too. Is that those those galleries go to the same artists time and time and time again? And so they may rotate a couple out, but you'll see the same group of 10 artists at the same gallery forever. Well, yeah, I mean, like, you know, why, um, why, you know, 
change it if it's not broke. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, it's hard to blame them. And then it's also like pre- personal preference. I mean, like, totally. you know, some of the um, galleries here like certain people more. Um, oh, yeah. You know, I think there's, there's, there's something to be said about like, you know, having a charming personality. I mean, I've often like, you know, um, um, <laughs> suffered from not having enough of one. <laughs> and so, and so, uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I look around um, to uh, to my peers who um, who I, by my estimation, w- uh, regard as uh, you know just as talented, if not more so in some respects, um, but like not uh, not so different than myself. And mm-hmm. what is that X factor? Probably my like you know lack of charm or. <laughs> 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 I have to be honest. Uh, I mean, I, I feel like I come across as very um, 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 officious and uh, studious and serious, which, you know, I've, I, I'm choosing it. This, you know, I'm 45 now. I mean, it's hard to change. I mean, if that's my, my affect, I feel like I have to go with it mm. to a certain extent. But um, I, I, do, um, I do recognize that, like, you know, it's something that I have to work against. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're very charming. Andy. Oh, thank you. You're very nice. That's studious. That, that'll work for you in more traditional art settings. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I suppose. I mean, like, you know, again, that academic world, I mean, it comes across very, um, very nicely there. I mean, yeah. especially if you're, you know, um, well, especially if you look a certain type of way. I mean, like, you know, uh, if you if you have the right background, let me just put it that way. Yeah, that's fair. Um, um, so... Um, I think that there's still like sort of a trust gap even in that world um, for being um, um, uh, like to say a person of color and, and having an ed- education. You know, I think that like, you know, a lot of us fall into um, 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 uh, eth- ethnic stereotypes mm. of, uh, uh, you know, when we um, go into uh, different kinds of public settings, um, uh, airing our education, it, turn, it turns into like a Sambo. Have, you, know, you know about the Sambo? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm sort of aware of like how um, I might be perceived by people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and people who are observing me as a person of color, you know, in their, in their setting. So it's something that like, you know, rings in the back of my mind mm-hmm. you know, a lot. How are they, how am I manifesting as a, you know, intelligent person to you um mm. and i think that like you know it, it it's not, it's something that you know i feel like happens uh, uh unconsciously with people um uh, i try not to be too too aware of it because i'm told that i can be a race person sometimes but mm. it's hard not to be in this culture i don't know how people i was gonna say that. it's unfortunate that any has that been something that's said to you no, 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 no. I, mean, I, well, I, mean, <laughs> I was like, I would not would, would, I wouldn't say. I wouldn't say like you know. Uh, um, um, not so, not so directly. I have, uh, huh, um, I have had some experiences actually, even in my own um gallery. Like you know, we get we have key fobs, um, <laughs> um, to get into the building, and uh, I can just remember um, playing this day like you know about a couple of years ago. Uh, coming in early in the morning before the banana factory opened it. So this is not something that happened in conversation. This is actually something that happened about like, you know, are you at the right place or something like that? But like, I, you know, I have my key fob and I was coming in uh, to the building and, um, you know, um, a non-person of color was uh, was at the door and was about to go in and they were like asking, uh, oh, um, uh, are you uh, are you waiting to get in? Uh, can, I, can I help you? Can I help you? Uh, the question was like very sort of pointed, like, can I help you? Because... He didn't think I belonged there. Mm. <laughs> I, just, I had to like do a double take. I'm like, 
I have a key. <laughs> to I get work in. here. I work here. This is like my, <laughs> my stu- studio. I, I have a studio here. And what was <laughs> funny about it is that it was like it was seven o'clock and the building opens at eight, like you know, to the public at eight. Mm. And I was like, you know, I mean, I just thought, what a what a um what a weird opportunity to kind of like flex, you know what I mean? What what a weird time to kind of like mm. flex your authority. Like you can get into this building, mm-hmm. but I cannot, and you have to wait. I mean, I just thought that it was a weird. Uh, and it's still, it sticks out in my mind as like an instance. I mean, uh, I felt like you almost had to kind of be there to kind of t- uh, catch the uh, the uh, the edge mm. um, that that I was uh, picking up from that person. Um, but it definitely uh, gave me a sense that like you know some people don't think you belong in certain places, you know, mm. and they let you know it in subtle ways and sometimes not so subtle ways. Mm. I'd love to go next into how you implement that into your work. But I want to talk about process first. Well, I mean, I guess they kind of go together, I mean, to a certain extent. I mean, um, uh, I kind of describe myself as like a warlock or a conjurer uh, when I'm making works because um, I do a whole bunch of things that are not necessary and people do not see uh, when I make a painting. Um, uh, I almost feel like I, I describe it as like casting spells into the work to kind of like give it like flesh and uh, help it find a, uh, a home. Hmm. Um, I I like to do a lot of um, collage and um, and scribbling um, and drawing into work and then covering it completely with like you know layers of paint and then starting that process again with another type of like you know layer of collage you know or tissue paper and then covering it again. I do this like you know maybe two or three times before the piece is sort of ready for me to actually wow. engage with it. Um, and I feel like it's, I tell people that it's like about um, creating a certain type of texture. And to a certain extent, that's true. Um, but a lot of times it's because um, I had, uh, I, I need to do it to to get ready. It's like mm-hmm. kind of like all the, uh, all the things that a, a baseball player would do before they come up to the to home plate, you know. I mean, they. I've seen it before on baseball, like you know, where like these players do all these like weird, wacky things before <laughs> before they take the bat, you sure. know. And I think that's what I, what I have to do. It's like it kind of like gives me uh, a certain type of confidence, so it says that this piece is going to be, you know, that you know, amazing piece. Um, I, I kind of like feel like I breathes life into it, you know. Before it was like a lump of clay, and then I breathed life into it by doing all these like you know sort of <laughs> magic things to it. Yeah. Used when we were chatting earlier, you used the word like ritualistic, oh, and yeah. that your process is very um, ritualistic and kind of pattern based. Oh my god, yeah. I mean, I do like things to the board that, like, you know, <laughs> I, I'll, like okay, so I'll um, first of all, I mean, the one weird thing about me is that I only paint on boards. Um, I'm I usually only paint on boards. I'm working on this collaboration with Mike Lebson <laughs> where he uh where, where we're working on uh canvas and it's like um it's more for his benefit because I mean I think that's better for the way he does his work. But usually I work on boards that I make because I, I um uh unlike most artists who have long ago figured out that like, you know, artwork sells in traditional sizes you know, like 16 by 20 or 18 by 24. I don't do that stuff. I'm like the person that go in there and like, I'm going to be the one that makes a 15 by 23 inch <laughs> canvas in my own panel, you know. You're the reason those framing stores exist. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. And I'm going to like have that weird, like, you know, not quite square, um, um, uh, I don't know, configuration 
you know, so that it, I, I really drive framers crazy, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but like, you know, so, so I make my own panels. Um, um, that uh, sometimes I get like, you know, they, they are, like, uh, sometimes they are torqued even, like, you know, I mean, I try to make them as flat as possible. Um, but then I'll like, you know, gesso it in a certain type of way. And then all my works are on paper, actually. They're actually, I, I put down uh, a type of paper. Usually it's Kozo paper or um, uh, Kiri Kozo paper, which has, which has that mulberry fleck, um, mulberry tree fleck in the paper. I usually only paint on that, you know, because I like the tooth. And so I like, it, it it has it's so ridiculous because it's expensive paper to buy that no one ever sees. It gets buried. <laughs> it gets buried. No one ever ne- even notices it's that. There yeah. It's there for you, though. It's there for me. It's there for me because I know that it's there, and that's all that matters. I know it's there. Yeah. Well, and then <laughs> yeah, and much like running with your favorite pair of shoes, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel right if it's mm-hmm. not done that way. Well, exactly. And I mean, I've <laughs> tried that. I've tried working on pieces like you know. Here's another collaboration. I I, I recently. Uh, did a collaboration with uh, again Mike and then my housemate Michelle and then uh, Tyrone. We did a collaboration together on a large piece. Um, the piece doesn't have any of my steps on it uh, under uh, any of my uh, under underneath steps. Hmm. And so when I painted my did my portion of the painting on it, you know, it just felt it just felt all the way. I mean, I worked through, worked through it and I did a uh, I think I did a pretty good contribution to the piece but like you know if i if i had done my my underneath layers it would have dragged that piece out from for a couple of months because it was so big that's fascinating because i so looking at your work i think and this is probably not completely astute but like i categorize it in my brain as like kind of two very distinct styles right mm, there's very mm. very representational work and yeah. then very emotive very socially driven work yeah um, but yeah. it's funny because i've seen the underworks of some of your representational stuff and there are huge similarities in mm-hmm. what you described as the runes or the scribbling underneath or whatever it might be yeah yeah, they do. Um, they uh, some people say, "Why don't you let your underpaintings live on as your actual work?" And they do in some of my abstract pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, get to have that life. They, you know, uh, might be more refined by the time they get to like you know sort of my abstract pieces. But some of that energy that that you described in like sort of the more um, um, graphical under underpainting work that I do mm-hmm. um, does does end up living. Um, you know, I just feel like for my um, um, for my uh, more um, sort of traditional pieces, the more botanical and uh, astronomical pieces, because I like I like to paint planets too. Um, they um, they they are there because I need them there because of my I call it my secret my secret um, art um, <laughs> um, my secret painting um, and. I, and I just like like to be able to look at a piece of work piece of my work and know. In in my head, uh, what's underneath, and it because like, I feel like it's something, it's something precious uh, to me, and I like that aspect of like it was precious in a moment of time. It doesn't exist anymore, and so it's about it's about like creating a memory, like a morsel that like belongs to you, mm-hmm. um, because I mean like you know ideally, the work is gonna go away. And they're not going to see that. I mean, they're not going to even care about it. Most people don't even care about what you do as long as they get the surface. You know, that it might be, it might help to drive a cell, and, you know, it might still get interest in it, but they don't see any of that stuff when they see the surface. Um, unless I point it out uh, to them, which I try not to do because mm. I want the people to have their own interpretation. <laughs> um, but like, you know, it, I, I like to be able to look at the work and then see that like, you know, 
I see my um, my sort of uh, universe, my sort of um, uh, hermetic universe that like I feel very um, very very close to because I feel like it kind of like uh, it kind of saved my life at one at one point. Like you know the development of this really you know elaborate uh, um, epistemology, you know um, of characters and shapes. Um, so I mean, to, so to tell that story, uh, you know, when I was in graduate school, I was very directly told that, like, you know, the kind of work that I was doing, the more traditional landscapes, you know, that I was doing, was not going to cut it, and that if I didn't grow and develop, um, that I wasn't going to graduate. And it was the first time in my like sort of basically academic life that anyone ever told me that, like, you know, I wasn't basically like, you know the bee's knees and like, you know, the most <laughs> incredible whatever academic ever. I was sure. like, what do you mean? I mean, I'm not going to get an A. What, 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 like, you know, I mean, what is that? I don't know what that, what that's like, you know? Yeah. Um, and so um, this one um, professor, she really wanted to push me uh, to, she felt like my landscape paintings were not about me at all. Um, and had nothing to do with me. And I'm like, well, I'm the one that made it. So how is it not, <laughs> not anything about me? Um, but I really thank her, thank her for it, um, though it though it kept me from doing landscapes for a very very long time up until I actually basically moved here. Now, mm-hmm. I hadn't done landscapes from oh God graduate school up to like probably about two thousand thirteen, two thousand fourteen, long long time. Hmm. So about ten ten almost fifteen years, I didn't do a landscape. Um, because I had that voice in my head about like, you know, needing to do work that felt about me. And so that's when I started developing this uh, hermetic universe um, built on these characters that I developed from um, my um, um, graduate school trip to um, Japan, um, where I studied printmaking. And I really fell in love with those uh, Japanese characters. So uh, uh, I guess it would be the, their equivalent of their alphabet. Uh, I was studying at this school called Kyoto Seiko University, and um, and w- w- there was a museum uh, near there um, that uh, had all of all of these scrolls. I just fell in love with like just the script itself, uh, and I kind of fused them and morphed them with um, with these um, slave brands uh, that like um, African American slaves used to get. Um, um, these brands of like you know the plantations that he lived on, and I kind of merged the two, kind of like lift languages into like you know my own um, band of characters. Mm-hmm. Um, we got fifteen or twenty of them, and then I just set them on journeys. You know, in my uh, usually like they were, um, di- uh, di- uh they, they were um, they were they, they were polemical stories um, of good good versus evil. Um, you know, they would, uh, they, they would always be in like, um, uh, a certain type of number of, uh, of pieces. Like, you know, I had like, I would like do 20 huge drawings and, you know, I would have fantastical titles like corrupting the kingdom of power was one of them. Mm. Um, uh, always about like sort of defeating some kind of like, you know, um, uh, some kind of evil or overcome some kind of vice, um, um, very much keeping in, uh, in keeping with like my sort of heritage uh, my upbringing growing up in the church um and so i i felt like i made work that was very much about like uh, using an abstract means of doing all of those um, moral plays that we were mm. brought up with um and so i did that for years thinking that like you know you know that someone would get it um get what i was like sort of trying to get at with these um 
these characters um, playing out moral fables. Um, and then I realized that over time that they uh, just appeared like they were just super dense um, uh, jumbles of shapes. And, uh, you know, I, I guess over time I became contented with that, but um, but I've over the last, I guess, maybe 10 years or so started to like, like try to recontextualize how I mm. um, uh, use those uh, characters uh, and those stories, maybe make them more graphical. Um, and by that, I mean... Um, uh, make them more like brands um, and, and instead of like these super dense, uh, super layered um, um, plays, basically. I would, I, 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 I've often thought of my, my works as like, you know, um, a, a, a play where you can see every act in one, one image. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so I, I've uh, lately decided that like, you know, if I'm going to do that kind of work, maybe I need to like, you know, pull out a scene. <laughs> Instead of like sure. doing the whole play, um, and uh, maybe think about my characters as more like um, brands or like marks that you like stamp on um, uh, on, on a product, uh, and mm-hmm. I feel like it, in that way they kind of have a little bit more life, uh, and uh, people can like see them, um, and you know, as, uh, and I think that it kind of works better for me too because I hate um, I, I hate people not like sort of. Um, um, being able to uh, understand what uh, all all the emotion that goes into making some of these super dense collage uh, mm-hmm. pieces that I do, mm-hmm. uh, and seeing it as noise, it kind of like uh, you know, uh, I, I, you know, as an artist, I try to have a, a little bit of a thick skin, but like it kind of hurts it. Like you know, all this you pour everything into this piece, you know, you you feel like you're describing the world, you know. I mean, uh, and 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 people just can't take it because it's too much, mm-hmm. it's too much to see, mm-hmm. and. I, uh, so I felt like those um, th- those more dense pieces um, they come from that um, my my abstract language um, definitely had a um, uh, had a had a role in like sort of me developing as a com- more confident artist. I think the moving to the valley actually in some respects um, was uh, both a step forward and a step back because I realized that I had to like you know sort of pay the rent and I remembered why when I was here. That oh my god I know how to paint <laughs> you know what I mean it's like yeah. oh I I did go to graduate school I knew I know how to do this shit so like you know I was like okay well I mean there's like a bunch of freaking mountains and pastures and farms around here let me let me paint that stuff it seems like that's what people like around here so I started doing it and you know um got into a house gallery show and then I got into another one and then I got into another one I mean like so and then I got into shows around here and I was like okay well this can be a bread and butter kind of thing it's like you know I can do the like more representational stuff. Uh, because it seems like you know people uh, around here dig that stuff, uh, and I do too. I mean, I I do um, I do like painting beautiful flowers and pastures, and it's kind of like yeah, it, it's it's a type of it's, uh, I I call it turning a trick. <laughs> and so, and so I feel like I, I feel like I'm turning a trick with my landscape painting, and then it allows me to go and do the work that I want to do. Mm. So I feel like they kind of feed each other mm. um, in a in a in a kind of way. Well, you, you described, you said this a couple of times, like scribbling is the underpainting or scribbling is a big part of the, mm-hmm. um, both, both of the kind of categories of work that you do. Um, and I think that you just explained it's, it's very intentional. And I think scribbling mm. has this kind of like connotation of just mm. something, I don't want to say mindless, but like something mm-hmm. continual, something like a, yeah. like a brain train kind of thing. But the, 
quote, quote, scribbling that you're doing is absolutely reft with meaning and super intentional. Oh my God. Work. Yeah. I mean, and like, you know, people don't even realize how intentional, I mean, <laughs> they, like people look at my, uh, some of my abstract work and they think that I just came to the canvas that way and like, just started like, you know, drawing. And I'm like, mm. you have no idea. You have no idea how, <laughs> how incredibly laborious it is to get to like, you know, even like a simple 16 by 20 inch, um, painting. I mean, like I, there's, there's like, you know, so, so much thought process that goes into it, you know? Um, yeah, the, the, the scribbling. I mean, and the other thing that's about, about my paintings is that I like actually map all of that shit out. I mean, like, you know, I have mm-hmm. a sketchbook where every stage of development, I mean, there can be like eight, eight to 10 stages and every one of them I write out. So like, you know, though that like, you know, random pattern that people might see in my paintings are, um, thought of and they're sketched, you mm-hmm. know, so it's like something that's, um, that I don't know, um, for, I mean, for me, it feels very determined. And it's not, and it's not like uh, surrealistic at all. I mean, I think that's what people uh, like to see when mm-hmm. they uh, when they see certain type of abstract art. They want to uh, they they have these fantasies that like you know an artist just like you know comes up to the canvas and it's whatever like you know <laughs> is inspiring them on that day. And I'm like, nope, nope, well, no, 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 no. I think people, especially <laughs> with abstract art, want to they want to look at it and recognize something. I think even mm-hmm. like subconsciously we do that where you look at something and you're like, oh, that looks like water. Oh, that looks like a face. But I think that there's so much freedom in creating something that you've identified as scribbling. It's like, it's, it's so free. It's so, Mm -hmm. it's so like expressionistic. I just love it. Like your, your work is amazing. And I think that I, I love this concept of scribbling. Cause I, when I think of that, I think of it's something that, children do because they have mm. that freedom there's no expectation for them to create something specific because they don't know yeah but then there's this is such an elevated version of it it's, <laughs> yeah it's yeah. fantastical yeah you have the, yeah. the 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 old adage of like you know the um uh the the parent coming in and, and saying my kid can do that and i'm like yeah go here's some paper let's see let's see you try let's see you it's try not, yeah, <laughs> it's, not, it's not it's not as easy as it looks no absolutely not <laughs> Absolutely not. And for me, I mean, I do it in a particular pattern. I mean, that's the yeah. other thing that, like, people don't realize. is like I go, wah, 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 and then like that. I have, like, I, I, it's like, it's not a scribble, scrabble. It's like right. I have an order that I do every scribble, right. scrabble. I mean, it's, then people don't see it. But, like, it's like uh, I've trained my hand over, like, you know, decades to be able to, like, do this, like, thing that looks like it's sort of random and, like, you know, free in a very, very controlled way, mm-hmm. you know, you know, yeah. so it's ritualistic know. scribbling. Very ritualistic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm still trying to no. tell those moral tales, those fables. Yeah. Well, I'd love to jump into one of the pieces that you shared oh, with sure, us. Oh, sure, sure, sure. So on the show, if this is your first time listening, what we like to do is offer an audio description of the pieces that we're talking about. Audio description is traditionally used for people who are blind or low vision, but uh, we are bringing it to the forefront of our work here and using it on our auditory program to uh, dissect your work a little bit. So I love that. I'm dissect. going <laughs> dissect. There's a lot to dissect. <laughs> um, so the intention of this is to give an unbiased description, and then we can uh, talk mm-hmm. a little bit about your work. So this piece is by Anthony Smith, titled "Field Trip," done in 2021. It is acrylic and mixed media, and it is four feet by six feet. A soft blue sky with billowy white clouds commands the top half of this landscape piece. In the bottom half of the piece, in the foreground, is a grassy, dry plain of short grass and farmland. 
A figure stands with their arms outstretched and a shadow casts on the ground behind them. Further back in the grass stands six small figures standing in line and holding hands. Beyond that stretches the expanse of more combed farm and prairie with trees and brush off in the distance. Along the horizon, we see the shadowy ridge of the long range of mountains that stretches the width of the canvas. The paint and palette knife technique used to create this piece has been laid on somewhat thick, creating texture and depth in the clouds and fields. That was great. I love that description. Thank I'm going to steal that. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> I love hearing about it. So, I, I mean, you mentioned this before, too. This, this piece is very representational, very mm -hmm. stylistically impressionist, but mm -hmm. now everyone knows what's underneath it. Oh, my God, yeah. I mean, and that one, too. I mean, that's like, huh. I did the, um, um, okay, so every, every one of my pieces has, like, you know, what I consider, like, the final secret painting layer underneath before I started doing the top uh, top coat layer. Uh, and um, I showed that um, painting, the secret painting layer for that one on um, Instagram. And people were like, why are you covering that up? That's so pretty. I want to buy that. And I'm like, well, it's for a commission. Otherwise, I would say so. <laughs> but, you can't uh, buy it, but now there's paint on top of it. Now there's paint on top. Yes, yes. And it's in a hospital. Um, that piece was a commission, actually, for um, Penn State um, uh, the Hamden campus, uh, Penn State, that's in Harrisburg. Hmm. Oh, uh, wow. So, yep. So cool. that was uh, um, that was how I got through the spring. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you, Penn State. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, so that uh, that piece was um, was one of the larger pieces that I've made. Um, when I was in New York, I, I, I would make large abstract pieces. Um, they would basically sit in my apartment and, you know, be unwieldy furniture. <laughs> but but uh, I hadn't made a piece that big in a while. It's basically like a mural. Um, and I wanted to um, sort of see if I can um, use this palette knife technique that I've developed over uh, over the years on something of that scale. The palette knife that I use is very, very small. It's like a, uh, like uh, an inch long, uh, and it's like in a diamond um shape and you know uh my friend tyrone he laughs at me because it's like you know all you hear when i'm doing it it's like straight, 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 straight. and, and it, it sounds like you know <laughs> nails on a chalkboard sometimes um and it's like just thousands and thousands of scrapes of of paint that that get built up over time and because of the way i um i paint um when i'm doing a uh an a representational piece like that it has four distinct stages um, uh, that I, you know, usually shoot a, uh, a, um, Instagram photo of, uh, for each stage. Um, and, um, so, um, for the, uh, for, for this piece, the last two, the, the last layer before this one where I did like, you know, the, uh, I call it the color story, um, stage, the third stage, uh, what looked pretty much like. The piece was done. I mean, and so it was. It's, it's again one of those things where, like, how much is enough? When when does an artist know when it's done? Well, I mean, I I know when I'm done. When like you know, <laughs> when the steps in the the sketchbook that I create tell me that I'm done because I you know I'm a, I'm an excellent student even to myself. It's like you know if I, if I were done a freaking lesson plan, I'm gonna like you know it's like an do, instruction manual. Yeah, for exactly. Yourself. I'm gonna exactly, and I'm gonna do every fucking step. <laughs> you know, and people are like. Oh, you can stop there. No, I can't. 
<laughs> that sketchbook says there's one more it's step. in the manual. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I have to do it. I have to do it. And this piece was actually kind of an emotional piece. Uh, um, um, because I, I was trying to figure out a way, I'm still uh, on, on this mission, to integrate my abstract technique or abstract elements more into my representational work. And so this, this piece features these kids. Um, and I was very actually shocked that I, I got the commission because when I uh, uh, showed them this, uh, I thought that they would be kind of um, concerned about like, you know, collage uh, mm. in, in their painting, um, but they didn't have a problem at all. The, the kids there are actually uh, collaged in um, pieces of paper uh, that um, I, I sort of paint and decorate the collage um, such that it fits into the uh, the painting and it involves a lot of work with my little Canon printer, my little cheap hundred dollar Canon printer to like you know basically get the uh, ratio down mm. so that it looks like it's proportional in the piece. And trust me, that wow. is not easy shit to do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, it takes, it takes it takes a lot of like, no, this is too big. This is small. This is. I mean, and I did that like you know for like you know probably. Uh, a third of a ream of paper just to get it right. Sure. Um, and, and then I had to fold it in and then like paint around it. So it look like, looks like the kids were actually, you know, running in, uh, in the field. Um, so the field is actually of, uh, fr it's a combination um, image of um, my housemate, Michelle Neifert's, um, her, her, her college um, bestie um, has a farm over in Ole um, called Prout Farm. Uh, her name is Jill Proud, uh, Jill and Ben Proud. They own it uh, together. And uh, I went there like during the pandemic and right at um, the end of summer. So right around this time, um, last summer, I think it may have been August. Um, but like it's still, it's, it, it's, you know, later in the summer. And um, she wanted us to come up and just like, you know, have a weekend that was like away from everything. And like, you know, um, we went there and I took a whole bunch of pictures of everything that was around there. And we bought like, you know, pork chops from like, you know, this great, great butcher right down the street uh, from uh, their house and uh, had a nice, uh, nice weekend. And so I stitched all these like photos together of like their farm. Um, and I put that, uh, put them all together um, uh, along with like a couple of different skies from other locations that I liked. And that's why I came, how I came up with the, uh, with the image. Yeah. I was going to say, it almost looks like Pennsylvania, except for the big mountains in the background. Yeah, <laughs> I was yeah. Like, I mean, maybe it, not quite. It's, but a, it's a, it, very it, Pennsylvania farm. Yeah, that's, I, I, that's what yeah. I do like about the rolling hills. I mean, I couldn't help it in the back to like, you know, make, you know, basically Rocky Mountain yes, farm, I love sure, it. Rocky Mountain peaks. Sure. But like, it, it, that's kind of like the artist in me. Um, my, my friend Daryl, um, that I mentioned before, he used to always say, Are you painting uh, a painting or are you painting a photo? And um, mm. and so I decided I'm painting a painting, and like the painting required Rocky Mountain peaks <laughs> in the in the background. <laughs> sure, so, so sure. it's not quite Pennsylvania, but like you know, you know, the farmland I think looks recognizable. <laughs> yeah, think, to people. What can you tell me about the clouds in this piece? Oh, um, they're just. Um, I mean, I, I I always liked the cloudscapes of like John Constable, and so I always wanted to like you know emulate uh, that style of like sort of. Um, I don't know, animated cloudscape, you know, mm. um, I'm really into that, uh, fashioning it. And it was fun to, uh, uh, to make it because actually that big cloud on the upper, 
um, uh, right of the of the painting was a bitch to make. I mean, oh my god, I did not want <laughs> the shapes did not want to turn right. I mean, and I couldn't. I, it was so hard to to yeah. get it to fold and billow the way I wanted it to because I mean, clouds can look very um, hard if you don't uh, if you don't get like you know the subtle. Uh, changes um, in color sure. correct. I mean, like, you know, people say that, oh, clouds are just white. And I'm like, there's white and then there's white <laughs> and then there's white. And then, you know, I mean, to get to get them all to uh, like flow together and to, look, and to look like clouds is very, very difficult. Yeah. And then, I mean, and when you're painting with a palette knife, uh, it's uh, it automatically communicates to uh, a lot of people as hard or uh, meaty, I should say, more meaty. And so you uh, to get like, you know, to get your eye to like forget the fact that this is like, you know, a ton of paint on the canvas here and something light and fluffy mm. is kind of like a, uh, it's a, it's a trick. It's kind of like, you know, it's a type of conjuring, you know, <laughs> on the level of like the conjuring that I did on, did underneath the thing, you know? Mm. So Another I mean, level of warlock, warlock, <laughs> warlock yes, work. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I feel like I have like, you know, um, a thing about like, you know, sort of clouds that are like that, that have, fingers touching each other hmm. so i mean i think that i kind of <laughs> when i look at the piece now i kind of feel like i went a little overboard because like all these like all these like dangling edges of the of, of the clouds are all kind of like you know reaching out like fingers like you know bony fingers touching other aspects of it and you know i tried to like make the sky kind of do the same kind of like finger grab thing it's yeah. just like my way of like you know just uh giving a little bit of life and uh, and action to something that's like sort of innocuous. I mean, it's like you know, clouds. I mean, like you know, this is clouds. Yeah. But yeah. like to me, it's like you know, I wanted to I wanted it to feel like you know, uh, the Thunderdome. You know, look at all that stuff that's going on in those <laughs> clouds. You know. Yeah, that's a conscious choice to make that almost fifty percent of the piece. It's like oh yeah, it's and it this piece when I look at it from afar it's very like idealistic right yep. and it's like oh it's mm -hmm. it's perfect and Bucolic, then yeah. the closer you look you're like it's too perfect <laughs> yeah exactly it's too yeah. beautiful yeah yeah that's yeah. kind of like you there's know, no farm mountain combination there's just no like the, yeah exactly except yeah. except in oz yeah except, somewhere, somewhere in oz you see you know something like that you know so i mean yeah that's definitely uh kind of like a thing of mine i mm -hmm. I, I i feel like i'm very kind of like idealistic um and utopian even in my uh, uh in my mm -hmm. landscapes um I mean, very much so in my abstracts, but like, you know, my landscapes, I, I guess I kind of have this, uh, this vision of, of like some kind of resting place that's, uh, utopian, you know, mm -hmm. so that's, I think that's, uh, that's why I kind of went for that. That division, uh, I, you know, I don't know, I keep doing, I keep painting the Ukrainian flag over and over again. If you ever see the Ukrainian, <laughs> it's, that's exactly <laughs> like that. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> now I can't unsee it. <laughs> you can't see it. You can't unsee it. <laughs> That's too funny. <laughs> but it's, uh, it, I, I don't know. I, I, I do like dividing canvases in half like that. I just like mm. skies. I, like, I mean, if I can do a painting, I've tried it before where I can, where I do uh, like maybe three quarters sky and then one quarter land because really it's the, it's the sky that I'm in love with. Mm. Um, but it doesn't quite work. I mean, I think that people need to be grounded a little bit more. So I think that half and half is about as much as I can get away with. Mm. Well, um, and and people are not like, you know, um, feel like uh, the, the jumping off the, uh, off the painting, uh, off the picture plane. Because I'm I'm very aware that like you know you want to be able to stand in the piece, halfway you can still feel like you're standing in it. If it goes a little bit too much further down from halfway or three quarters, you feel like you're falling off. You feel like you know if you're sitting down, you feel like you're falling off your chair. Yeah, and so definitely I, I try to avoid that. You know. Yeah, I guess it kind of changes um, 
like when we're talking about like idealistic or like a representational or realism or whatever, like it definitely changes the perspective of a piece and like how you interpret it. So I was just thinking there's a piece I saw. I don't even remember where, the, where it was. I think it was, I went on vacation to Utah and there was like this little art gallery that I went into and they had this huge piece. It was like six feet tall by four feet, like portrait orientation, huge piece. And maybe the bottom six inches was like ground. And then the oh. rest was like huge night sky. And I Ooh, remember just being like, I like that. so captivated by this piece mm. because it wasn't the other pieces in the gallery were um, very landscape focused. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's just an interesting like mm. differentiation where like when I look at this piece, it is a lot of sky, but I'm captivated by it. Oh, I see. Like, I, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, I can't stop staring. It just depends. I guess it just depends on. I love that. The, like, the viewership, like, how you interpret, totally. how you're interpreting it. Yeah. I feel like, you know, what the sky does for me is, like, much like the sea. It gives you, it, it gives you humility. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's one of the reasons why I like going to the ocean. I've done, I, I did an ocean um, painting just recently for, uh, for a friend that I used to work with uh, over at the Home Depot. Uh, and, um, and I, I kind of like feel like sky is just like the ocean. It's so big. It, it has a, an, an enormity that like, you know, um, puts uh, us as human beings in our place. Mm. And, uh, and so I think that like, that's one of the reasons why I, I think I go to it over and over again, because, um, I like to be like sort of, uh, well, I wouldn't say necessarily humiliated, but I like to, <laughs> I like, I like to be, I like to be uh, made aware of just how insignificant, mm. um, it helps you to focus on the, on, on the big picture. Definitely. You know, and on the um, on um, uh, it helps to prioritize you. Yeah, yeah. You talked about during your process, you have a path mm -hmm. that you take, mm -hmm. and traditionally in landscape, you look at it and it takes the eye from point A mm -hmm. to point B. Mm -hmm. When I look at this, it mm -hmm. feels like I'm standing in it, and my eyes are swirling all around. Yeah, it's a vortex. <laughs> it's, it's, it's actually intentional. There's, yeah. a, there's a there's a there's a a bit of a golden um a golden section. In it. I mean, I I think that like the torquing happens um right around where the um where the girl is running sure. to you, and it creates an S. Yeah, and then you and then it doubles back on itself, and it circles around mm. into those uh, into those fields. That was intentional. The way I like to enter the painting is I start with a girl on the bottom uh, right, mm. uh, and then um, and then I, the way I like to look at it is like you know, then I go into the field where the six kids are. Uh, running and playing that's kind of like my um nod to joy of life did you sure. ever see that yeah so that was like my like little yeah my little, my little easter egg for like you know art <laughs> nerds for the art nerds out there listening um and then i uh kind of uh have you go through this uh tilled farmland and then uh, all this uh crop right here and then going out in the clouds so it's kind of like going in and out like that so it's like a uh it's kind of like a vortex of activity it's supposed to go mm. uh, up and out to the uh, upper um, um, upper right of the painting. That's uh, funny. So, I look yeah. at it and I think like, oh, I want it to continue. Like I want the sky. Well, that's what I tell my <laughs> students. I tell my, I'm glad you said that because I mean, if my students are listening, this is what I tell them all the time. It's like, you know, don't, don't be painting me or drawing me a uh, world that's encapsulated. I don't want to be in prison. I want to, I want to have a window sure. looking into another world. Huh. You yeah. know, you know, don't put me in jail. I tell 
<laughs> it's like I'm not a prisoner. Am I a prisoner? <laughs> You're making me blush through my black skin. Yeah, and it it feels authentically you, even though it is a landscape. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I wish I could like you know um, paint like you know. Um, well, I guess I mean I'm 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 glad that I have a style. I'm glad that like my style is recognizable. Yeah. Um, I had always like tried to. Um, I mean I I I had wanted to emulate the masters, and so I was like you know. Hoping to like you know sort of um, one day be like the the black Cezanne or something like that. That mm-hmm. was like you know always like a early aspiration. I remember my um, one of my undergrad um, my best friends, his name was Euclides, um, and uh, we we had like you know um, idolized this uh, our, our uh, painting professor um, uh, Robert Sweeney, and uh, we did want to paint just like him, and he was like a very Cezanne style painter. Um, he used brushes more than palette knives, but um, he did have one or two paintings that, like you know, featured that uh, that technique. But we just loved the way he painted, and like we loved Cezanne so much, and we wanted to paint like him. We wanted to paint like all the early impressionist artists. Uh, for us, at the time, we thought that like art history stopped in like 1900. You know, I mean, it was like you know sure. nothing, nothing after that. I mean, all the stuff that I'm doing today, um, I think that he would be like you know, I mean. He's seen some of my new works, but like you know, I think that back then we were so in love with that that like, <laughs> you know, uh, if I go back to like that earlier self, we both would be shocked, you know, because I was such an av- um, um, advocate of like a pure Very representational <laughs> representational style, and I think that it has a lot to do with like you know, frankly, like you know, insecurity about like being a person of color artist, mm-hmm. uh, and I I talk about that so, to my friends sometimes, like you know, I feel like you know every uh, I I somewhat have insecurities about how I'm being perceived as a person of color. I feel like you know when they see my abstract work, they know that a person of color made it, mm-hmm. and I kind of want them to like see one of my landscape paintings and then see me be shocked. I mean, I love that reaction. Oh my God. Oh my God. That is so delicious. When I walk into a room. Oh my God. Oh my God. I just, I just eat that shit up. Oh, Oh, you did that. Oh, you did that painting. Oh, Oh, you know, do you know the artist, uh, Fred Wilson? Yes. Um, he, uh, he did this on one, um, exhibit once, um, where he, um, um, pretended like he was a docent. Uh, in a museum uh, filled with his work and he uh, he eavesdropped on people talking about his work. And I just love that. I just love that idea of like, you know, sort of catching people um, when they um, might be saying or perceiving something. Um, uh, they think that like the artist is, uh, is uh, not present and like, you know, just hearing how people are when they are, you know, sort of amongst themselves, you know, sure. when they think that it can be uh, private, you know. I think it's a reason, honestly, like, you know, why, like, a lot of, like, American, uh, like, you know, Americans don't like people speaking foreign languages around them because mm. they know that that's happening right in front of them, mm. you know. Right. And usually we're, like, you know, polite enough not to do it in front of someone else. That concept is interesting, like, talking, mm-hmm. having, because um, mm-hmm. someone could say, they could look at something and go, ugh, I hate the way that this is, I hate oh, the and, coloring here, and I, I hate that the reaction. format, and then, you walk by and turn around, oh, everything's great. Yeah, beautiful. Mm-hmm, Love it. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, I wonder, absolutely. like, do you look for criticism, positive or negative, like, of your work? I think that it's essential for artists to have uh, criticism of their work so that they don't feel like they're, you know, the greatest piece of shit in the world. I mean, like, you know, <laughs> I, and I think that, like, you know, I, 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 my feelings are still hurt. I mean, I don't, like, you know, deny that, like, when someone uh, doesn't like, you know, some of my work, um, that, it, that it hurts, but then it gets me to honestly like think about what my reaction is to, um, 
to a to a greater audience, mm-hmm. um, and it might shift some things in what I'm doing. But like you know, I think that I as an artist, I don't like you know, I don't like necessarily wake up in the uh, uh, in the morning and say like you know I want my art to be dissected like you know hmm. as if I'm a first year student in art school you know but like I do think that it helps out especially if you're like on a on a trajectory um when you can have a friend who can honestly give you an artist friend who can honestly give you an unfiltered unvarnished perspective I mean it helps to stop you doing like 20 or something yeah. that like is never going sure. to hit sure uh and never work the way you think that it's going to work you know yeah. Um, I've had that happen with me. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why I think that my abstract paint pieces hopefully are getting somewhat better because I'm like, you know, learn, learning and listening to some of the criticism that people felt um, close enough to me to, uh, to con- uh, confide in. You know, I do think that there's ways to do it. And I talked to this, uh, I talked to my students about this a lot uh, that um, uh, criticism is the most effective when it's constructive. Um, and I, and I think that like, you know, we as Americans, we have like, you know, this thing that we like love violence and love, like, you know, so, love the uh, art of destruction, uh, so much so that we don't give a damn about like, you know, whether we hurt someone's feelings, even if we think we're like trying to help them, hmm. you know, I have this happen, um, um, more, more than, um, more than a lot lately, um, where like, you know, oh, well, I'm just like thinking about you or we're looking out for you, but I'm like, your delivery sucks. You know what I mean? And like, you know. If you want someone, if you love someone and like you want them to grow, I think that you have to um, um, be aware um, of of how they might take it because you want them to grow and change. Oh, wow. But if you're like, you know, a good friend, you will take that into account and then deliver an unvarnished truth um, that the person can that the, the, the person can take. Right. You know what I mean? There's a difference yeah. between looking at something and saying. God, that looks like hot garbage versus mm-hmm. something that is constructive to help you kind of build your peace, you know? Well, exactly. I mean, I think it just goes, in, uh, goes with life in general. I mean, I think we also have to be, um, um, I think that if we, uh, if we say that we love each other um, and out in the world, we should like, you know, take care of how we uh, treat each other and how we talk about um, um, each other and like, you know, what we should do and do to change. You know what I mean? And I think that goes um, doubly so for artists because we are the most sensitive motherfuckers on the planet. You know, and so, <laughs> you know, if you're not being careful with us, you know, you might, you know, turn around and cut you. So, I mean, you know, just um, be careful how you <laughs> how you approach me. Totally. With that said, with that said, with that said, I'm actually hoping to, you know, um, uh, encourage that more at the Banana Factory. I'm, I'm one of the things I want to do is actually get artists to do like you know a salon i mean that's one of the things i mm. want to propose um because when i had got first uh came there we sort of started doing that a little but then we got away from it uh, and now with the pandemic no one wants to even walk in the same room with you so um, I'm, i can't even i can't wait for that to go away well i'd just like to point out that at the beginning of this interview you told us how your attitude is terrible and you're so brash and <laughs> not charming. And now you're talking about the deliver, the art of delivery of criticism. Yes. That's, uh, <laughs> I think yes, you're I not am, giving I, yourself I, enough I credit. Am, well, and I'm, I'm, and I'm also like, you know, um, uh, I, I felt like I need to take my own advice a lot. So, I mean, like, you know, I'm nothing, I'm nothing of not self-deprecating. I know that I need to like actually work on all of these things. You know, I mean, I do feel like I, I'm a little bit like bereft of charm often. Um, but you know, I, I do try to uh, uh, be compassionate um, um, when and how I can be, you know. Mm. You know. <laughs> Bereft of charm. I like that. <laughs>
You know, the, it's funny these um um these cedar shingle pieces that I uh, that I'm uh, I've been making, affectionately known by um for with some people as crackers. Um, these cracker pieces, they um they don't have like the same type of layering underneath them. The they're more about actually making the shape. Uh, believe it or not, I mean I'm so in love with the shape mm. that uh, uh or like just making the shapes because I made out of like you know just bundles of cedar shingles, singles that I get from you know the store I used to work at, Home Depot. Sure. Excuse me. And um I I'm so in love with like just wrapping tape and like you know the way I make these things are like it's so it feels um. It, it it feels like I'm like sort of getting into the earth if I'm, uh, as a farmer or something like that. I'm like, I'm sort of getting into like making stuff. Like I like the aspect of like my hands, not only like making the painting, but like making the stuff of the painting, mm. Mm. you know, I, I, uh, like doing these pieces. I almost want to like makes me, I almost want to mix my own paints. Like, you know, like, you know, the pigment in it, just so everything can be like, Super authentic, so super homemade. Super homemade. That's actually, I mean, and and I think that there, maybe it's like the pandemic that's doing it too. Because I mean, I think that like you know, it's something about like you know the world having to shut down that made people want to get at something elemental, um, and and to like strip away so, sort of like artifice, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that like you know, um, going to an art supply store and having like a prepackaged like you know canvas to make. Um, uh, to 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 paint on it just felt like it just feels like that's not getting at you know the heart of you know expression at least for me you know but making this thing it feels like I'm I'm uh, communing with like some pure um art uh god or something like that or art <laughs> deity um yeah. that like you know so give me, give me give me the unvarnished truth you know yeah um or give me that that stuff that makes me want to i don't know get into the studio yeah it's kind of that concept too that i've just noticed over the last year like that idea of self-sufficiency and like Mm -hmm. can you create from the base up if the world around you collapses can you still create what you're making from Mm -hmm. from the root you know (laughs) yeah yeah i mean uh, i i i say all this stuff about the art store like as if i like you know make all this stuff um um from from scratch and that's not it's the furthest from the truth. I'm I'm very inspired for the art store. That's actually a problem of mine. Like you know that like <laughs> that I don't go to my studio enough and like just be inspired by what's there. But like you know the, making making the pa- making the, these panels though it gi- it gives me a taste of like actually like more than anything the kind of store that inspires me is not an art supply store. It's actually a Home Depot or, or a hardware store. I love mm-hmm. that shit. I love going into a hardware store or even like a Walmart. Um, those places are fantastic. Or <laughs> or a flea market. There's a great flea market on the south side in Allentown that I love. Oh, and I just love just walking around and seeing tchotchkes and seeing like like you know um, really weird surfaces. To um, that actually kind of like tickles me or like you know gets me like going more than uh, more than anything. Like you know since those art pheromone or you know things um, neurons rather. I mean to say firing in my brain. I wanted to do a piece where I was like using like you know like almost clothes hanger wire and then like, you know, suspending paper against that. I thought that that would be really hard. Like, you know, I mean, have you seen something that raw? Like, you know, it's wrapping paper around clothes hangers. Yeah. You know, and then it's painting on that. I was like, oh, that's, you know, so that that kind of stuff um, really does inspire me. And I love like, you know, construction materials. I mean, it's like, it's so, um, it, it it's so, uh, again, raw, you know, to me and um, cheap in its own way. 
You know, I mean, the prices that they charge at these uh, these um, these art stores are just uh, uh, ridiculous. <laughs> and when you can go to like you know your you know local Lowe's or Home Depot or Ace and like you know get a version of that for like you know a third of the price, and why wouldn't you? You know, that's the one thing I'm thankful for. Like you know, working, I I just recently left this um, hardware store. Oh my god, oh, what a retail. Oh god, it's painful, <laughs> pain, painful experience. Um, talk about like you know humiliating. Uh, on, on tetrising layers of humiliation, I felt like I suffered. Mm-hmm. Um, but like in any case, it was incredibly inspiring. I'm thankful for the experience. It was like you know, it definitely put me in my place and it, and taught me uh, a good lesson. And like you know, that you can find creativity in in various different places. You know, not just in like your studio or an art supply store definitely. or the museum. You know, mm-hmm. definitely. It reminds me a lot of the street artists from the 80s and 90s in mm-hmm. New York, mm-hmm. like. Oh my gosh, the the plates that Basquiat would do self portraits mm-hmm, on, mm-hmm. It's, it's in a very similar or tires painting on tires, hundred oh, mm-hmm. percent. You know, um, yeah, the refrigerator doors. Um, <laughs> oh, oh man, yeah, refrigerators it, themselves. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, <laughs> and, it, and it was and it was great. And I mean, I feel like that's the type of artistry. Um, there's an uh, artist down in um, in down in Philly that I follow a lot, it's Anthony uh, Molden. Um, you should look him up. He's great, great painter, and he does that kind of stuff. I mean, like you know, found art, making it into um, new, new, new creations. Uh, and then what I like about his stuff is that he'll like take it and put it out in, um, uh, you know, out in in the world. I mean, he doesn't like you know have this um, gallery kind of stuff. I mean, you know, I mean, his works you know sell for thousands, and like you know, uh, they are in galleries, but. He makes a lot of work that, you know, he brings in the studio and then he takes it out and puts it on the street free. It's not like, you know, sure. and, and whatever happens to it, happens to it. And I love that idea. I love that idea about like, you know, giving art back to the people and not having an expectation that it comes back to you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That, that feels kind of like, um, I mean, I think that like we all need to sustain ourselves. But like, you know, I mean, I, I would love to be able to get to some version of that um, in the future for myself. <laughs> um this piece right here um the the abstract piece is um yeah would you like me to uh, sure i can sure. read oh, the sure. description and oh, we can yeah. jump oh, into yeah. it <laughs> um so this piece titled sweet child asha we still sing you lullabies hey. in the year 2021 it is a mixed media piece and it is 32 by 34 inches a tan color is the primary background of this geometric shaped mixed media piece over the tan a multitude of amorphous shapes make up much of the background of this piece covered in pointillist style dots in gold, black, and light blue. This piece of art can be described as collage and includes components of drawing and painting, as well as sheets of music, cutouts, and iconographic images. In the general center of the work are four pieces of sheet music outlined and dripped with yellow and purple paint. In a scribbled abstract texture in black ink, the face of a young black girl can be seen in the upper right quarter of the piece and in the lower left quarter. In both images, she is smiling and wearing her hair in braided styles. Surrounding the portraits and the sheets of music are smaller images and icons, including a pink unicorn, a clam with a pearl, an angel, a mermaid, and many more. That piece, I, it was it was my most recent um, of these like uh, cedar, cedar shingle or cracker works, hmm. um, and it's probably my favorite. Uh, because it was about uh, this uh, little black girl who was lost and never found back in um, 2000. Her name was Asha Degree. Um, and um, she uh, um, uh, was missing at the same time as uh, Elizabeth Smart and uh, John Bonet Ramsey was a little uh, before then, but like 
these other girls, uh, these other little white girls got all this media attention and this beautiful, beautiful little six-year-old black girl uh, lost in North Carolina, never found, uh, and didn't receive any of that attention. Um, and I wanted to do that piece as sort of a uh, um, as, uh, as as sort of my uh, uh, continued tribute to Black Lives Matter, um, and I just wanted to say like you know that life matter too. And I mean like you know we should like observe how we pay attention to people in uh, the media and how mm-hmm. um, depictions of like um, Black grief, for example, or um, um, a Black longing for a lost child. Uh, is treated differently, um, sensationalized differently, um, uh, uh, you know. And I just, I, I wanted to like sort of remember that because I, I remember when she was lost in, uh, way back in 2000. It's like something that was sticking in me, sticking in a craw, like a craw in me. And I just wanted to um, do a piece that was about it. Um, and uh, it was like uh, th- that. That piece was the second piece that I had done in a row that um, that kind of stepped away from the reason why I made um, uh, many of these um, unusually shaped pieces that were made out of cedar shingles. Um, I started making them back in 2016 um, um, when I was at the Vermont Studio Center on an art residency. Uh, and I was uh, walking down a, a, a road one day when I was there um, and I, I saw these cedar shingles and I wanted to like do something with them to kind of like compete with all the other artists that were there because they were all these hotshot artists from like New York and California and like, you know, Boston. And like <laughs> they were doing all this amazing stuff. And I felt like, you know, such a um, um, pretender, you know, you know, artists, you know, you probably noticed over the last year or so uh, they have some insecurities. <laughs> You know, one or two. And I, and, I, and I had, a you know, insecurities about, you know, the quality of my work and, like, you know, whether I belong there. You know, I had actually applied a number of years to that Vermont Cedar Center and didn't get in. And so I finally got in. I, w- I took the, those um, Cedar Singles back to my studio and I made um, uh, three works that I called Matthew Likes Darkies Best. Um, and it was, um, um, it was a kind of a, uh, I know, a... Um, De- it was dedicated to a friend who's now passed, Matthew Stitzer, and it was kind of like, um, uh, just uh, kind of an ex- uh, exuberant expression of, I think, uh, uh, of life, you know, and actually death at the very end. Um, and uh, I took what I did in that work is I took old sheet music that he gave me uh, shortly before he uh, he passed, and he wanted me to do something with that sheet music because he knew that it was like, you know, racially tinted. He knew that I, you know, the kind of work that I did, that I would do something to sort of alter it or change it or like give it like a different type of life. Um, and that's what I did. And so I, I took the, um, the music, put it on these cedar shingle boards that I made, and I would cross out all the words in uh, this sheet music, this particular sheet music. Um, um, I'm trying to remember the title. It was like something like... Um, Mama still loves your uh, 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 something like Mama still loves her cold black rose, something to that effect. Hmm. I, just, I just remember cold black rose was like um, uh, retin- uh, continually referenced in the in the piece, um, and so I just took the piece and it had like you know the most horrible kinds of like descriptions of like you know a black child that's, that a mother loves and. Um, of this language and it was a popular song back in the 60s back in the 60s I mean I was like really shocked um, that she music was made in that late date mm-hmm. uh, and I would cross it out and put the words like you know saying instead of like you know cold black rose I would say human being 
or a child or like you know person you know mm-hmm. uh, so every word that i was like you know that 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 was racist i would like just turn into like neutral like human mm-hmm. human human you know i just wanted to like you know emphasize that this that's a person right um and so that kind of uh that that I thought that that series was going to be it because, uh, you know, I mean, these pieces were made on Cedar Shingles. I mean, well, that's kind of crazy. Um, but then, like, you know, all the stuff happened, like, with the Black Lives Matter protest movement last year. And even the year before, before that, um, before the pandemic, there was, like, some grumblings going on. Um, uh, of course, I mean, like, you know, things have been hot for a minute in America as far as the extrajudicial killing spree that we seem to be going on um, in as a nation. Ever since, like, you know, Trayvon Martin, actually, I think, for myself, that's when I started th- paying attention to it more closely. Um, and so, like, uh, in, in 2020, I made uh, another um, series, um, uh, Kenny Likes, uh, what was that? It's called Kenny's Carpetback of Lament. And then I made another series, uh, Malik's B-Boy Blues. And then I made that's what I thought was, like, the crescendo of these pieces. And that's called, that was called, um, Ali Jean's hymn to lost black boys. And that was done right after um, George Floyd's um, murder. Uh, and I made that piece because I was so angry. I, I kept thinking about like what my grandma would say. And my grandma would say like, you know, um, there are like, you know, uh, that this life was temporary. Heaven lost always something folksy like that. And I was like, that's bullshit. I'm not like waiting for heaven. You know, I mean, I'm so angry. I mean, like, you know, we did like, you know, go out there and like, you know, bust some heads open. I mean, I was so mad. I couldn't believe uh, what had happened. So I made that piece as kind of like a ironic um, sort of like response to <laughs> to what my grandma would do. I mean, and like, you know, I haven't seen my grandma in years. So, so I mean, like, you know, I mean, who knows what <laughs> she would say. Um, but like, you know, she, uh, I, I had all these um, fugitive slave posters with wings kind of flying up to like a, a heaven figure. Uh, and in, in, uh, in, in Northern European paintings, um, uh, Jesus is oftentimes sitting on a throne, a rainbow throne. And in this painting, uh, there's a Jesus figure, but it's not Jesus. It's actually a hoodie um, sitting on the rainbow throne uh, with a seraphim around him and with like Skittles all around. And like, you know, if people know about Trayvon Martin. He was like killed because like, mm. you know, George, George Zimmerman thought that a bag of Skittles was a gun <laughs> in, his, in his hoodie. Right. Um, so... And so that was that painting. And so I did it and I was like, okay, I got this anger out. And I still wanted to do these pieces, these cracker pieces. And I was like, they're, they're so um, powerful and emotional. But I felt like race was like, you know, and, and what was going on in the country was uh, too limited of a topic. And I needed to like, uh, and I've, if I really wanted to like sort of honor the message of like Black Lives Matter, I needed to like focus on lives, lives, you know, black lives. Uh, and so I wanted to do a piece first about like the first boy that I ever fell in love with. Um, and so that was the piece that preceded this one. Um, and that was, uh, this, it was, uh, uh, that piece was called uh, When Ken Ken's, uh, When Ken Ken Whistles Sweetly at Me. Uh, and I was like um, a childhood crush that I still remember to this day. Uh, and then the second piece was this one right here that you, uh, that, that we're talking about here. Um, uh, about Asha Degree, and I was just thinking about, like, you know, that little girl, and, like, you know, I wanted to do something about, you know, a life, and not about, like, uh, um, uh, uh, an expression of rage, um, mm. you know. And so in the piece, uh, we have two of the milk carton uh, depictions of uh, of Asha Degree, and then we have around her 
um, uh, all these charm bracelet items. Mm. Uh, and so that's actually the, the, the song, uh, the, the, the song in the middle of the, um, canvas is supposed to be, um, evoke in my mind, it was, uh, you know, you can think what you want, but like, you know, in my mind, it was supposed to evoke a large charm bracelet that like little girls wear. And then all oh. of the dangling elements, uh, like, you know, all the stickers, they were actually, uh, stickers that a friend of mine gave me, my friend, <laughs> Rachel, she gave me, um, she gave me all of these stickers that her uh, her little uh, her little girl and little boy gave me, um, and so those stickers became like the little charms that, uh, that like you know that came off of the big charm, mm. uh, and the big charm is like the song lyrics. And then I decided that I would throw in a unicorn because I mean like who doesn't want a unicorn? I mean like you know I mean I think girls and boys love unicorns, but like you know I thought that definitely it was a uh, it felt um, something that Asha would like. Um, and so I just wanted to like sort of throw those elements in. And I, of course I had to give her a crown because I mean, she is a princess. Um, so, I mean, I, I wanted to make that piece feel like it was um, um, honoring her life. Do you know what I mean? Uh, like Absolutely. sort of imagining uh, what she might, what might've wanted to uh, uh, have or like, you know, be around at that age. I have no connection to this girl at all. And I'm actually very sensitive to the fact that like, I feel like I'm sort of exploiting her memory. I mean, I'm actually, actually kind of terrified that one of her parents might come and like, you know, hunt me down and like want to kill me. But I just wanted to, uh, I felt like for myself, I want to do a piece that kind of honors, uh, uh, honors her life. And like, actually like um, did something that like felt like it was fun and had play in it. Like, you know, cause so many of my pieces, feel like they're um, laden with uh, so many of my abstract pieces like that feel like they might be perceived as being sort of laden with like a political message mm-hmm. that was oblique uh, and, and less um, fun. <laughs> so I, I, that's why I like, uh, I was like, okay, I'm going to like go for it. I mean, it's going to be pure cheese, rainbows, unicorns, <laughs> you know, everything pink. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, this is a beautiful tribute. And I think, um, one of the reasons I initially connected to it was the way that you had drawn the portrait of her, mm-hmm. um, which is beautiful. The style of it, um, I well, connect I, it kind of to your the scribbling. <laughs> and I also did that like portrait like that because again I have that insecurity about like the fact that oh I do abstract stuff and uh, that means I can't draw. So I'm like oh let me like actually do some goddamn drawing. <laughs> so what I can't do. Yeah, I can't render every once in a while. You know. <laughs> the the other thing about this piece that, and I think this was ab- around the same time period um, that you created this was, I had the pleasure of watching a webinar that you were a part of, mm. um, and it was educational, um, yeah. and you were not the only artist, but it was arts focused um, around Juneteenth, mm-hmm. and talking about some of the work that you had created over the last year in response to Black Lives Matter, in response to what was going on in the United States um, and the pandemic and how you were kind of dealing with isolation. And one thing that um, I really connected when I had first heard you talk about some of the work that you'd been doing is something we've talked about already in this episode is like the deliverance, how you deliver something to Um, someone. mm, And the deliverance, delivering a very heavy, very sad and emotional and horrible topic with the viewer in mind with something that includes stickers and, and there's a lightness to it. And I, it's the way that you've achieved this is it's, 
It's amazing. It's difficult to do. I mean, I don't. I, I mean, thank you for thinking it is successful. I appreciate that because um, I I battle with that constantly, whether it's working and whether it's timely, because I um, I know how work that's considered protest art uh, mm. gets siphoned off uh, in a different kind of direction, especially. Um, protest art by a person of color mm. uh, and we were discuss, discussing earlier that like you know it's it's very recognizable for me to see a work that was done by black people in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and the 90s I mean like every decade every genre has like these um, motifs that are used uh, and the works of that era uh, excellent though they may be are often siphoned off by like you know sort of the mainstream media as being sort of um, uh, not part of the canon or part, not part of like the, the larger conversation they're just protest art um, and I didn't want the, these pieces to feel like that I wanted them to like actually have uh, connection to a larger, um, I think a larger conversation that we're having. I think that's why I'm like sort of like attacking what we um, mean by um, certain type of media usage. You know, I mean, I still like I still I feel like terms like you know when when I get that question uh, a lot, it's like, are we still talking about media? Are we still are we still talking about acrylic? Are we still talking about the the, the primacy of oil paint? I mean, like when people are talk, talking about like, oh, oil paint. Like, I mean, like, can you? I I cannot believe that we're still like sitting around in a, in these college campuses making students go out and freaking buy oil paint, you know? And like they're thinking that that's the only way that you can do like painting in a class. I mean, it, dry, it drives me nuts. It's like you know, I mean, I feel like if I if I ever got the benefit of like teaching another. Uh, our class again. I'm like, don't fucking go by. I mean, are you going to be stinking up your uh, your your house for the rest of your life? You know, I mean, like, you know, let's break these paradigms down. And I feel like that's um, what I wanted to do with this work because uh, these pieces, because I feel like that's ha- that conversation has been happening for like decades. It seems like in the larger art world, and I wanted to like you know this piece to be part of that uh, trajectory that we're like you know uh, we're breaking down you know, all types of barriers of like, you know, class and race and material and subject matter. I mean, like, you know, it's part of, it's all getting um, looked at again and recontextualized into a larger conversation um, that is more accessible. Because, I mean, I feel like when people look at work like this, I mean, they they might not like, you know, appreciate all the aspects of it. They might even hate it. But they can like, you know, sort of relate to it in a different way than some kind of like painting that was done maybe like, you know, with a much more narrow audience in mind, like, you know, mm. um, using classical materials or like, you know, subject matter. You know, I think that like, uh, um, I think the artists uh, have a sort of a responsibility to, you know, the audience to a certain extent, to a certain extent to um, provide like some kind of like um Entry, entry point into their, their work by like you know how they um, uh, depict things and how they like the materials they kind of use and, uh, and that's why I, I feel like I do things the way I do with these abstract pieces because I feel like you know working with tape working with paper you know working with stickers you know not high art stuff you know stuff that you have in your home sure. you know and, and you know working with cedar shingles that you can get from Home Depot wrapping and tape around it. Like, you know, you can make this too. It says, I feel like it says to a potential person out there that like, you know, all is not some highfalutin thing. It's something that relates to you that you can like, you know, do yourself. It's financial accessibility that you can access these materials at home, but also kind of keeping in mind of with that idea that like art, there is art education and then there's making art Mm -hmm. as 
expression, you know? And I, mm-hmm. I think that there is such a big divide in that. I think so too. And I mean, it's like so many people want to be able to um, relate to these roles. And I mean, I feel like these institutions, they need to like, you know, sort of wake up to the fact that like, you know, in a hot second, they're going to be made irrelevant by like, you know, this digital um, uh, wave that's coming uh, uh, to the world with these, uh, with this NFT market. I mean, like these places, you know, I mean, uh, I don't know how long, how much, uh, how much longer, you know, the Whitney or the MoMA or like any of these museums are going to be able to charge $25 or $30 to walk in the door. <laughs> you know, when like, you know, when you can go buy an NFT, like, you know, and have excellent quality work for like, you know, uh, that, that, that's yours to own and that can't be re- reproduced, you know, and have it in your home. You know, you might even get the original artwork with it. You know, so sometimes NFT artists sell the original with the piece, yeah. you know, and then it's like more accessible. Um, I don't think that like galleries are going to be able to like sustain themselves if they don't like, you know, wake up to the fact that like not everyone um, can afford to uh, shop in their highfalutin places, mm-hmm. you know. It's a, a mode of revolution, I think, that mm-hmm. in more ways than one, that there is an uncontrollable, not mainstream way for you to access art. And it's. Yeah. And that. And, that, and, new that, and it's scary, but it's, it's kind of amazing. Terrifi- <laughs> it's, it's amazing. And to me, it's terrifying. I mean, I actually had a crisis of like, like, why do I. I mean, I didn't even. I felt like, why am I even fucking coming to the studio? I mean, when like. It doesn't even make any sense to make any new work anymore. Like, you know, I mean, like, you know, I'm a fairly prolific artist. I actually have about 30 pieces that I'm working on right now. It's crazy. If you walk into my studio, <laughs> it looks like I'm in, in it looks like I'm an insane man. Uh, you see like half finished canvases all over the place. Um, and but like, you know, I, 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 I still keep going. I don't know why. I don't know why. But like, you know, this NFT thing, I mean, like, you know, there's the most work that I already have that I can just turn around and like, you know, um, uh, you know, make a digital JPEG of it, you know, and then all of a sudden <laughs> rises up in the market. I mean, I have colleagues who are like, you know, doing well with that stuff. And so I wonder about it all the time, you know, motivation, what keeps us going. <laughs> I mean, I would like to say that about the... Um, about the cedar shingle pieces, um, I am starting to feel like, uh, I mean, there, there's one big weighty topic that I do want to explore in them, and that's like the Tulsa massacre. But I want to do it in a fun, playful way again. Um, I'm thinking about like you know, <laughs> yeah, I can. I, I watch. I'm gonna make Tulsa massacre like into a game. You're gonna love it. Um, but like uh, the uh, the other topic that I'm really interested in a lot lately is love. Like you know. Um, um, expressions of like sort of black love. I mean, I, uh, uh, and not necessarily like, you know, it being sort of specific to a gender, although like, uh, uh, I am sort of thinking in that direction as well. But I, I feel like, um, there's so many, um, depictions out there, um, uh, of like angry, um, black people or like, you know, serious black people. I mean, I feel like I'm in that category. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, um, um, Spock was my motto because I loved, I loved not expressing emotion. I usually think most expressions of emotion are manipulate manipulations and I, and I, and I find them, uh, you know, generally offensive, especially, um, um, sadness. Oh, oh my God. I find it in crying. I, I refuse to cry ever. Um, <laughs> and so, I have lately started like investigating and breaking down some of those personal things. One of the things I've noticed is that like, you know, a lot of um, black men particularly have like, you know, this hard exterior shell that is hard uh, to break down. And I want to 
start breaking that down on a personal level and thinking about it uh, as a theme uh, to uh, to explore in my work, um, you know, in a, in, a, in a more visual way too, besides just like, you know, thinking about it on a personal level. And I feel like it, it really, uh, really kind of goes to like how I was informed, how I was raised, you know, um, I felt like I had to sort of invent my um, invent myself. I didn't have a father figure, so I had to make it up myself or be that for others. And uh, I really feel like I have uh, a lot to prove to myself about like um, growing in and growing in uh, maturity by like, tackling a subject like expressions of like specifically black love um, in my work. You know, I, I feel like I owe it to myself because I need to like figure out how to express it, you know, to others, you know what I mean? So it's, it's, some, it's something that's really been weighing on me a lot lately. I feel like I need to work to be more ref- reflective of uh, where I'm at emotionally, hmm. you know? Beautiful. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> I, feel like I, just, I feel like I just did a homework card. <laughs> well, I am greatly looking forward to seeing your new work and yeah. seeing what you come up with. Well, the next piece is going to be about my mom, uh, you know, so I can't wait to, like, you know, do that one. Um, well, the next of, like, 30 pieces I'm about to do is, you know, about her. But, like, you know, I have other pieces that are on other subjects. So, Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Well, if people would like to see your work, uh, you are involved in so much, and you gave me quite the list of places uh, and activities and projects where people can catch up with you. So currently you are on view. You are the featured artist of the month in partnership with Rachel Bell over at the Banana Factory. Um, So that's for the month of September, and that's displayed on the first floor of the Banana Factory building. Um, You are also a part of the Resident Artists Annual Exhibit at the Banana Factory Art Center's Crayola Gallery, which started July 17th and runs through October 24th. Yep, yep. And you are also currently exhibiting in the showing New Normal at Moravian University's Payne Gallery from September 9th to October 17th. Yep. Very good. Yep. I'm all over the place. You are all over the place. <laughs> and then you've got some workshops and demos coming up as well. Yep. yep. Uh, busy, you are busy a, man. a demo artist for Art in the Park in Allentown. And then you have two washi tape workshops coming up at the Allentown Art Museum on October 9th and December 4th. Mm-hmm. You can find more about that at www.allentownartmuseum.org. You're also going to be at Cocktails and Collecting Yay. at the Allentown Art Museum. I've been wanting to get into this on thing November for 6th years. And 7th. I'm very excited because. Yep. I was just invited to attend uh, as a patron, so I will be there, and I can't wait to see your work there. (laughs) Um, And coming up, you have a solo show Mm -hmm. called Secret Worlds at Blair Academy in Blairstown, New Jersey, from January 4th to February 5th. Yep. So that's looking forward a little bit to next year. Yep. But. Yep. Lots going on. (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm exhausted just like, you know, hearing you talk about it. Now I have to do all that stuff. (laughs) Well, in in the meantime, or if people can't catch you in person, what is the best way to connect with you, to find your work online, or Mm. to buy your work? Well, um, you can buy my work always at uh, um, uh, sachi.com. So uh, just go to, uh, I think it's uh, www.sachi.com. And then um, look for Anthony Smith Jr. and I should pop up there. Um, you can also uh, DM me at uh, my Instagram, and I'm just uh, my handle there is a Smith Junior NYC. So I started it when I was in 
<laughs> there. So uh, A Smith Jr. NYC is my handle there, um, or my website uh, um, where you can also get in contact with me. Uh, that's www.anthonysmithjr.com. Very good. Awesome. Well, Anthony, thank you so much for coming on the show this week. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I really wanted to be part of this. Yes. And thank you for being our first guest on season two. Oh, yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Very good. And that was our conversation with Anthony Smith. Anthony, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Now here with our opportunity of the week is Michael Lebson. Hey, everybody. Uh, yeah, th- uh, this is Michael Lebson. So I'm actually here to announce uh, my solo show at Art House, which opens uh, November 3rd, and the artist reception is November 18th. Um, the uh, The gallery is uh, it's run by John Clark and Deb Rubinsky. Um, and I'm very excited for this opportunity. I've never had a solo show before. Um, it's a really big moment for me. It's been a big year. Um, I'm a, you know, a painter first and foremost, so that's going to be front and center for this show. You know, there's a lot going on in the art scene, of course, uh, you know, with NFTs and other alternative forms of uh, presentation. Um, so I'm definitely going to be showcasing some NFT-related artwork, without a doubt. Um, there's definitely a, a collaboration or two that will be in this show for sure. I'm going to have alternative forms of presentation of my artwork. And, uh, you know, some of those things are uh, still being kept under wraps, but I'm definitely excited to share those. Definitely check it out. It, uh, it opens November 3rd. The uh, artist reception is November 18th and the, uh, the show ends January 9th. So don't miss it. I'm very excited. Thanks for tuning in to the Lehigh Valley Arts Podcast, a Steel Pixel original series. Don't forget to like the podcast, leave us a review, and follow us on both social media and streaming services at Lehigh Valley Arts Podcast. Mm-hmm.